Welcome everybody to the University of Applied Research and Development's videocast for leaders. And I'm delighted to have with us Dr. Jeffrey Abbott, who is the director of his own company called Intercoach and also an adjunct professor at QUT Graduate School of Business. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello there. How are you? So incredibly excited to have you with us. Why don't you tell us about your role and roles? Well, thanks, Greg. Um, my current role, I'm, as, as you mentioned, uh, work from the University of uh, QUT in Brisbane in the Graduate School of Business as an adjunct professor. And my expertise is mainly in leadership coaching. So working the interface between uh, the development of leadership practices and coaching skills and mindsets. And the same thing in my company, Intercoach, that's got a speciality in intercultural global coaching and leadership development. So that's really where my space is. I've established in the last few years with a team at QUT, a graduate diploma in leadership coaching, which specializes in this idea of using coaching and leadership to enhance the impact of leadership in very complex, difficult situations, of course, which we're living in right now. Uh, so that's that's kind of where I come from. Uh, prior to that, I was working in strategy and corporate planning with the Special Broadcasting Service in Australia, which is a multicultural, multilingual uh, national broadcaster, and have also got a background many years ago in teaching and uh, also in sport, which is where I uh, also uh, gained some of my inspiration of leadership and coaching. So do you think that leadership is different in different cultures around the world? Do you think it's expressed differently? I think so. I think leadership uh, is different everywhere. And I think this is probably the message that's coming through in leadership in in the current environment. As I, th I went to a, a presentation by Jeff Emmett, the, who followed Jack Welsh as the CEO of um, General, uh, GE. And he said that leadership is not a one-act play, meaning that it's not one thing that you do, it's a number of things that you do. And it's around, the words that come through are being flexible, agile. I'm writing at the moment about the idea, it's slightly tongue in cheek, that really to be a leader in the current environment, you have to be superhuman. I mean, if you think about the qualities that we're expected as leaders to have, there's a, you know, a shopping list of thousands of things. You have to be very confident, and clear at the same time you have to be agile and adaptive because you know that the thing that you're confident and clear about is going to change in the next five minutes so this is a a, a kind of tension you have to be warm and and comforting you have to be clear and direct and make you know harsh harsh decisions so a lot of my work is around this this i guess over that the over expectations that we have of leaders and to encourage people to look at leadership with a slightly different view to say well, well you know we we are fundamentally human beings and we're flawed but we show up in the best way that we can so to be perfect requires a certain degree in leadership of imperfection and for and to to and i think Brene brown's work on vulnerability of, of being a leader to say well yeah, I'm going to get things wrong. You know, nobody, nobody can get everything right. And when I'm working with leadership, it's it's working with these paradoxes of yes, you have to be this and you have to be that. And one area I've been looking at recently is this idea in leadership of ruthless compassion. 
this how you work as a leader being very very strong and making very important decisions but with high compassion that that idea of compassion is coming through the, the literature and research in leadership as well as the practice of being an in, in, incredibly important ingredient but you have to make decisions compassion is not about weakness it's about the strength to to hold the heart and the head together and making strong decisions in the moment that you need to take so that's that's kind of an introduction to, to my thinking about leadership at the moment hmm. you said about leaders making mistakes how can leaders best handle a situation where it's very clear they've made a mistake? Um, well, own up for a start. Uh, and we're seeing uh, on the global stage uh, a leadership example of someone that doesn't own up you know, to, to mistakes. But, but people are going to be attracted to the idea that a leader to... You know, people, as long as the decisions that are made are made with the best of intentions, and are made using the available information that you have and with consultation of key people around you that know what they're talking about, then if it goes wrong, then people are gonna understand that that's a human decision and, and nobody wants things to go wrong. But a lot of the, you know, I, I was at uh, the university, we have a mentoring program for our master's students. And I brought in the mentors and one of the students asked these C-suite CEOs and finance managers, etc. They said, do you, are you lacking sometimes in confidence that the decisions you're making are going to be wrong? And almost all of them sort of simultaneously just laughed. They said, of course, because most of the decisions or many of the decisions that leaders have made, difficult decisions, are kind of 49-51 and you don't know which way it's going to swing. So you've got to stand up and say, well, we're going to go that way, knowing full well that that way could be just as effective or more effective. So to then say if it goes wrong, well, you know, uh, th that's the worst thing that ever happened. Well, no, it wasn't. We did the best we could with what we had at the time. And we put our heart and our head and our hands in and we, we made the decision and we moved. But, but of course, as you're doing it, you've got to have, and I remember uh, the fighter pilot that you interviewed, uh, Brendan Williams talked about this. He talked about, you know, uh, healthy paranoia. So as you're making the decisions, you've got to have a voice in the head that's scanning to say, bloody hell, is this going to go wrong? And uh, so it, it's that tension between, you know, let's go forward and be, you know, execute. But at the same time, this is experimental. And I've worked a coaching model, the EFI coaching model, developed that with QUT, that part of that model is when you get through the process of you know, you start off by framing the, the issue that you're facing. You inquire and investigate. You look at the possibilities. Then you experiment and execute. So this execution, which, you know, is pretty final if you execute something or somebody, but it's an experimentation. So you know that it may not work. So there's this assertive tentativeness going on, this, this play that in the action of making a decision, you've got to have some, you know, uh, a thought to plan B because you you know you you don't know what's around the corner uh, and you to say that mildly at the moment. Do you agree with that premise of taking small shots before you take your moon shots? I think that's wise. Although uh, I don't know if you've dealt much with uh, Dave Snowden's work and the Kniffen framework 
uh, he talks about different approaches. If your issue is compl complex, he talks about probing. So if you've got a leader, before you take any action, you probe and you know you may do your small shots and whatever. And if it's if it's but if it's chaotic, so beyond complex, if it's chaotic, and you know if if the house is on fire, you don't probe because you'll get burnt. You get the hell out of there. So when it goes beyond just being complex and it becomes chaotic and out of control, you act. So you take the big shot and you go, yep, we got to get out of this. And so that, that model isn't too bad because he, he, he classifies different leadership challenges in different ways from simple to complex, complicated to complex to the chaotic, most of which now sit around the complicated and the complex, which have slightly different approaches. And, and I'm, as I'm talking, I'm thinking about the coaching approach, which I use, which is very much to ask questions of people about what is the nature of the problem you are facing? What is the problem? You know, and if that's not the problem, what is the problem? So getting some clarity around what you're trying to explore. Hmm. Tell us a bit about how you came to your, your coaching company, how you set that up, why you set it up, why you've been doing it for 16 yeah. odd years now. Yeah. Um, uh, let me go back a bit. I I was working in uh, the special broadcasting service, and I went was uncomfortable in the role. I mean, I was doing a, a reasonable job. I think they didn't didn't let me go, uh, but I was quite sure that that was not my career direction. So I I went to see a career psychologist who used to be a NASA engineer, which was an interesting guy. And we spent ages together, and we did some diagnostics, and he told me basically I was in the right job, which disturbed me but but I but I've always had an interest in psychology so I went back and with a view to being a clinical psychologist and studied psychology but at the end of that I realized that clinical psychology was not where I wanted to be so I got more into organizational psychology uh, did a uh, an honors sort of degree in that and then ran into uh, a book at a bookshop in, in Sydney called Coach Yourself by Dr. Tony Grant. And unfortunately, Tony recently passed away, but he was my mentor for many years. He, he set up the coaching psychology unit at the University of Sydney and became one of my PhD supervisors because I read that book and I realized that the application of coaching skills to business is where I wanted to be. At the same time, my work with SBS uh, brought me a sensitivity to cultural differences. So I combined that and my partner is from uh, Central America. So we decided to go to Central America and for me to do my doctoral study in Central America, looking at the adjustment of expatriates into uh, their roles in different companies in, in El Salvador. Fascinating. And that's where, the, and, and much of the book that I'm writing at the moment talks some of the stories that came out of that. So, so that's kind of where I went. And then I went came back to Australia. I then got into teaching a little bit and working with the Institute of Executive Coaching and Leadership in Sydney, and then was offered a position up here where I, in, in Brisbane at the at QUT, doing teaching and, and coaching and consultancy work with the university. And that grew into a position of Director of Leadership Coaching. So from there, uh, I've did that for a number of years, achieved what I wanted to do, and then decided to move a little bit away from the full-time role and go back into establishing Intercoach and uh, reframing uh, my, my sort of direction. So that's that's the kind of background to it. 
Is that where you met Henry Weiss? I notice on your LinkedIn profile, he says, Jeff is a world-class international executive coach. He made a big difference in my work and our results at the largest integrated utility in Central America. Amazing story. Uh, Henry Hank Weiss, amazing story. He was an engineer in uh, occupational health and safety, working for a Venezuelan company at the time and was very disillusioned with the values of the company. And we worked together for a number of years in El Salvador. And he, his, his Salvadorian fam, uh, wife with two children and was very prominent in exposing those boys to unionism in, in, in the power industry and the values of uh, his faith and values. And we worked together and he decided to shift and he ended up joining the Peace Corps and took his family to Albania and other parts of the world where he was very successful in the Peace Corps and has now returned back to the States with his family and the, they're growing up and have had amazing experiences with him. But uh, he, he really did embrace the idea of values and, and, and coaching and pursuing his passions. And, and he was an amazing individual. Because we have a range of people that, that watch the video cast um, from different domains, I think it'd be really valuable if you could share your thoughts for aspiring leaders, regardless of which, which area or industry that they're in. They may be aspiring for that next level, or maybe they're at an entry level role now, and they want to take that next step. What should they do to prepare themselves? Uh, I think for leadership, it's about primarily, uh, I mean, you have to have a certain degree of skill in whatever you're doing. I mean, that's some deep knowledge of something and deep experience in something. But once you do that, and you feel that you would like to be in a position of leadership is to embrace the idea that your main job is to engage and support and collaborate with the people around you. I mean, that's really it. Because the, the, the risk is that people in leadership think that their job is to tell people what to do. Well, it's not. Their job is to make decisions in the system in which they are operating and to understand deeply the nature of the system that they're in. So the more that they work on their self-awareness, uh, you know, who am I? Where do I come from? What influences me? What's my cultural background? What, when I show up, what are people engaging with? Who are people engaging with? And once you're aware of yourself, to then move into a very deep uh, interest and curiosity in other people. And there's, you know, uh, the, the thing about curiosity is, as a leader, you can't be curious if you already know the answer. Uh, and too often, the the, the leaders go in thinking they know. And of course, we all, I mean, I'm in my uh, different kinds of team leadership role, sometimes I'm being heavily guilty of that, of thinking I know the answer, is you have to have the voice in, the, in your head to say, well, I've got an answer, but it's not probably not the best. So how can I improve it? So constant curiosity. And the other thing that's coming through is mindfulness, There's a, it, which is being aware, situational awareness. And again, you find a part talked about this situational awareness of being aware of what's going on. My favorite coaching questions, uh, what are you noticing? And what are you curious about? These are the two things that work together as you work through the, the difficult job of making decisions and supporting people. It's looking out and all the time uh, and being prepared to be wrong and being okay about not 
being in control. And there's that, that paradox of your best way as a leader is to gain control, is to give it up, is to give deleg appropriate delegation as much as you can to other people and support them in doing the jobs that they're paid to do rather than try and do it for them. So giving out control in order to gain it, this is that, that lovely tension that goes on. It doesn't mean abrogating responsibility because in the end, you know, the buck does stop with you to some extent. So, you know, as you're giving out control, you're also managing the, the dynamic between the people that are in, in, in the room with you. I love that. I hope that, um, and I'm quite sure that our students that are watching this in the future will have their notebook ready. I always tell them to have their notebook and making notes as we go through things. Um, so what I've really taken away is about when you're preparing for that next leadership role, the next jump, deep knowledge, ensure you're engaging, supporting and collaborating with your colleagues, then developing that self-awareness, mindfulness and curiosity. Is that right? Yeah, and and um, ask questions. Yeah, again, Jeff Emmett said, um, the, the GE guy said, you know, one thing he regretted is he didn't ask enough questions. Mm. You know, leaders think that their job is to run around telling people what to do. Well, no, it's not. You know, when you ask a question with curiosity, it changes the answer. And I use an example of this. If you say to somebody, are you happy? So say, Craig, are you happy? It seems a simple question, but once you start to reflect then on that question about happiness, you start to, all sorts of things come into your mind. And this is the thing about powerful questions. They open up the mind and, you know, what does happiness mean? And what, how do I classify it? So you see the way that straight away, and it may be tomorrow when you're walking around, you might be ruminating around or reflecting on your own happiness. So this is... If, if, if you ask the right question to get people thinking in, in, in the way that kind of shines a light on the issue that, you, that you're exploring, it's like shining a torch. It's, you know, well, what's over here? What's over there? What's over there? So being curious about the environment and the people and the ideas, you know, in a world of multiple perspectives and different approaches, that constant curiosity is so important. Hmm. Dr. Jeff, really want to thank you for your time. It's great to be able to start the year with you. Wish you all the very, very best for 2021. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you and all the best to the people who watch.